That's better. You can hear me now. Hello and welcome, everyone. Welcome in, welcome in. Um, and welcome to my, my co-host, Livia, who is also here. And uh, this is the first episode of the Quill and Vile Elder Scrolls lore cast. Um, yes. So this is something that Livia and I have been talking about for a while. Um, we're both lore nuts. We're both uh, passionate about the Elder Scrolls universe. And we wanted another way to connect with the ESO fan. Um, so let me just... Uh, Sorry, I'm just fiddle around with my OBS. So before we start, um, I figured we'd give everyone an introduction to who we are. Um, for viewers of my stream, you've probably encountered us both before, both me on screen and Livia as, as a partner in crime. But I'm Cynical Alchemist. Uh, you can call me Cynical, you can call me Alchemist, or you can call me Dave. I'm, I'm a gamer, a streamer, a scientist in real life, and a Scot uh, that lives in Australia. Um, I've been playing Elder Scrolls games since uh, 2016, I, when Skyrim was released in Special Edition. Um, I moved to Elder Scrolls Online in 2017 when the Morrowind chapter was released. Um, I've done some modding with Skyrim, I've done some writing for some mods, uh, and I've messed around with a bit of fan fiction before I started uh, streaming. Um, so Liv, do you want to give yourself, give the audience a an introduction to yourself? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm Olivia, as you all uh, might know. Um, I have been playing the Elder Scrolls series for quite a long time. I think we're now on... Uh, man, I think I'm now on a decade uh, more. So I've been playing these games for quite a long time, been a very big fan. They've been a very important part of my life. And uh, yeah, as uh, Dave said, um, we are definitely uh, keen to do um, some content with it. Um, but a little bit more about me, I guess. Um, I'm uh, a writer. I've done some extensive fan fiction about my characters in uh, within the Elder Scrolls universe, um, specifically about my one character who happens to have the same name as me and is happening to sit in game right now. Um, yeah, I, I do I, I do role playing as well and uh, in various different uh, venues and yeah, just overall a very big fan of uh, the Elder Scrolls. Um, I worked on a couple of other projects in some capacity uh, regarding the Elder Scrolls as well, but nothing super major. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much it. Cool. So we have Livia the VTuber as, as part of <laughs> yes. She's she's represented in game by her character. Yes. Um, so I just and for the audience, I just to give you a little bit of an explainer about how the podcast will 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 function. Um, so the scope of the podcast is uh, Elder Scrolls lore of particular types. Um, we'll each have a particular aspect of lore that we're going to be covering in each episode. Um, and that's what we hope will make the podcast unique. Um, but in general, uh, the, the podcast will cover more than just our lore segments. We're going to be talking about uh, everything that's happening with regards to Elder Scrolls games, releases, news, anything that's connected to Tamriel that's currently on social media. 
uh, and that might may or may not include uh, discussions on uh, body pillows of various Daedric princes. <laughs> oh, um, absolutely. We'll have a whole section regarding that when those come up. Yeah, indeed. Indeed, <laughs> yes. So every episode will start with a casual catch-up where Livy and I will just like shoot the breeze, figure out what we what each of us has been up to, and in, in Elder Scrolls games, we'll cover the current news. We'll uh, hopefully at some point in the future uh, have some guest interviews, hopefully. Uh, to tap into other aspects of the ES fandom and the ES lore that we don't cover ourselves. Uh, and then once we've uh, dealt with uh, the, the prelude, if you like, we'll get into the meat of the episodes, which is um, the uh, the lore segments, which from my side, um, I'm going to be exploring the alchemy of Elder Scrolls, um, the reagents, the potions, the origins of uh, alchemy, the quests, the importance of alchemy to the overarching lore. Um, so each episode, I'll have a little uh, reagent that I'll focus on uh, and I'll look at how the game treats it. I'll look at how there's a how, if there's real-world analogs to these regions, how they appear to us in the real world, how we interact with them in the real world. And also, maybe some in, in some cases, I'll see whether there's a crossover in the use of this type of alchemy region in other fantasy universes. Um, so, Liv, do you want to give a little uh, explainer on, on your lore delving? Yeah, yeah. So I feel like um, there's a lot of these, a lot of other podcasts who do um, lore really, really well and make it very accessible. And my interest in within the Elder Scrolls lore has been the really the, I guess the smaller things, the smaller corners uh, of lore. Um, so that includes mostly things that are found in in-game works of fiction. Uh, in the universe, I guess, in-game, in-universe pieces of fiction. So those are really interesting to me because um, I just think that adds another layer of depth to the the, the Elder Scrolls universe being like a living, breathing universe where they even have their own pieces of fiction like written by people within the universe. I think that's just really fantastic. And a lot of the pieces that I or that are written are um, like historical fiction, even uh, just like Elder Scrolls historical fiction. So, yeah, those are the really things that interest me, and that's what I'll be going into in my section. I'm calling my section Tamriel Obscura because these are very obscure sort of uh, pieces of of lore. So, yeah, it's something that I think that um, people will enjoy, uh, you know, old and new, um, and they. Um, have some people wanting to delve a little bit deeper into things and uh, maybe check out uh, less traveled paths of lore. Cool. So slightly disparate uh, lore segments, but we hope that they're going to present something new to the to the to the listener. Um, yeah, so we're excited about the start of this process. Um, yeah, it's a uh, nerve excited as as i expressed yeah. on twitter earlier on today um yeah it is very exciting and it, yeah it's you know like i was saying too and just like you were saying dave the there's a lot of um you know there's there's a lot of uh places that do do things very very well a lot of podcasts are our people are our peers now i guess uh do do things very well and uh yeah, I think this uh, offering something new to the space is uh, is going to be is going to be fun. Yeah. So let's kick off. Let's 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 get into the agenda of the podcast. Casual catch-ups. What what, what have you been up to in, in Elder Scrolls games? 
since since we last chatted? Since we last chatted, um, I've been struggling with Skyrim and the modding of Skyrim. It's just ah. been such a yeah. It's, I've not had a fun time with that. It's just like yeah. I, I almost am thinking that I should just replay without any mods, even though I want like you know characters, dark elves especially, not to look ugly. <laughs> Elves in uh, the traditional Elder Scrolls games are on the uh, aesthetically challenged side. <laughs> I yeah. certainly agree there. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but mod it to mod it till it breaks is definitely something that is is a phrase that's used heavily in, in, with Skyrim, and uh, it's very easy to mod a game, Skyrim, till it breaks. Um, yeah, so I, I feel so your that pain. That could be anywhere between uh, uh, you know infinite mods or three mods. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I did actually pop into Skyrim just earlier today, just uh, looking around uh, for this particular alchemy region I'm going to be talking about later in the episode. Oh, and I forgot, awesome. I, I, I always forget how beautiful Skyrim is just to yeah. wander around. Um, it's a different kind of beauty to Elder Scrolls Online. Uh, they're both beautiful games, but Skyrim is much more grounded in what we, ex what we kind of experience in the real world in the outdoors. Whereas Elder Scrolls Online is just a little bit separate, I think, in terms of the aesthetic. Um, Skyrim just makes me think about walking in the mountains um, yeah. in Scotland. Um, and it's nice to get that connection. So I'm similar to you. I think I, I'm overdue some time back in Skyrim. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like the Skyrim offers like more, I don't I don't know, this is the only way that I can think of, is more grandeur to this, the spaces? I feel like the spaces are so much more, I don't know, open. It certainly does. It's got more impressive vibe to it. I mean, for example, I was in Morthal, uh, which obviously appears now in both Elder Scrolls Online and Skyrim, and it just seemed more atmospheric. It seemed more, uh, mm -hmm. it seemed colder, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so the color it, scheme is definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, they're, they're very different games, very different feel to both games. I, I love both, but it's, uh, I think I'm going to spend a bit more time in Skyrim because I've been spending so much time in ESO. Yeah. ESO has dominated all my gaming pretty much for the last God knows however many years. <laughs> um, and it's sometimes nice yeah. to get out of the gear grind, you know? Um, I spend most of my time in, in Elder Scrolls Online harvesting gear or leveling characters. Um, and only sometimes I, I put time aside to do the questing, whereas with Skyrim, questing's the whole thing, you know? It's, right, uh, right. So gear will come as it was, as it will. I mean, it's you get good gear from quests mostly, and you know, otherwise you just level gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Actually, I like actually, Skyrim I, a lot. I, talking about Skyrim, well, Skyrim is a big part of news and current events for uh, Bethesda at this current time. We just we just did <laughs> QuakeCon, and there were some significant announcements there. Uh, what was your take oh. on 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 what was announced for Skyrim? Already a professional at the transitions. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I've been reading my how to podcast notes. <laughs> that was a good one. That was a smooth one. Yeah. Um, well, to kind of just deviate a little bit from the Skyrim stuff, um, like literally I was working earlier today and I was looking on Twitter and I saw that, uh, or no, I wasn't looking at Twitter. I was looking at YouTube and I saw that Bethesda posted three videos about uh, Starfield, the oh, wow. next upcoming game. So, yeah, it was, you know, as you can 
tell, um, I, or not tell, as you can expect, I like immediately hung up on it or, you know, finished what I was doing and uh, started watching the videos. And there was three of them uh, and they were going over different. Now, I read somewhere that they were different planets, but I got the idea that they were different cities inside of planets. I don't know. Yep. Did you get that kind of? Yeah, I, I watched it. Yeah. And Emil didn't give much of an explainer for it, but uh, it did yeah. seem that it was different cities focusing on the, on the cities that were within planets that were within the universe that we're going to be encountering. Yeah. Yeah. And I seem to have deleted one of those on the show notes. Oh, here we go. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I wrote up kind of like a very brief summary of each of the, each of the, um, uh, cities that they went over. Um, it seems like, well, we'll go over them first and then we'll talk about what it seems like. So one of them was this uh, city called Neon, which is an old fishing facility uh, on this all all water planet or all like oceanic planet. Um, and the apparently the fishermen, the people who were fishing there figured out that the fish at this particular planet contained a psychedelic agent. And they found these fishermen found that selling that psychedelic agent as a as a drug is more um, was more uh, was making them more money. Mm-hmm. So the the fishing uh, platforms and the fishing city turned into this pleasure city uh, where we can only assume that many different things that we would consider crimes happen uh, as far as drugs go and indulgence goes. Um, yeah, so that's that's pretty much neon. Uh, the pictures, the videos are up on YouTube on Bethesda's YouTube page, but the city is very colorful and neon lights, as one would expect with a city called Neon. Um, one of the the next one that they um, went over was a city called New Atlantis, and they said that it was the United Colonies, which they called the UC. So I'm assuming that's. Uh, you know, akin to the USA or, you know, some other type of large military and political organization. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the UC's capital. And they they stated that it was a, quote, melting pot of races, ethnicities, creeds, and there was something else. But it, they said specifically races and ethnicities. So, I mean, I know that they confirmed that there's other races, but I'm thinking that's that's like confirmation that there's alien races in in this video game. That would be cool. That'd be very very cool. I'm I'm hoping so, because you know what's a Bethesda game without being able to play? Well, I guess Fallout doesn't really have different races, but or different not, like not, alien not playable races. ones, but you experience different races, whether it's synths that's or true. whether it's super mutants or. Uh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. But yeah, so that's the new Atlantis. It just seemed like a very like standard. You know what you would see like in halo you mm-hmm. know uh, mm-hmm. what you would see in mass effects kind of that kind of that kind of feel of a yeah, yeah, large yeah. united colony mm-hmm. and then the last one was a called aquila which was uh they called the capital of something called the free star collective um it's a free city so i'm assuming free of any maybe it's like a conglomerate of um different colonies i think it said a conglomerate of three different star systems or something like that something to that effect kind of, and, kind of uh, made me it kind of made me think of um, in firefly and serenity the outer the outer uh, planets and yeah the kind of lawless west space west 
um, mm -hmm. that you get in, in, in other in other IPs. Um, yeah, I can totally see that. Frontierism. Yeah. Uh, and and also I guess in the Star Wars universe, the outer, the outer planets as well, which like like Tatooine and, and, and those uh, places where the outlaws hang out and things. So it kind of it's there's a lot yeah. of uh, precedent for that type of thing in space fiction. So I think it's it's yeah. a good thing to it's a good thing to lean into for uh, Bethesda. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that that's now that you say that that's totally the feeling that I got. So I totally agree. Um, they made notes there was a there was a specific emphasis on the city being surrounded by walls, and there being this like hostile, uh, like uh, alien uh, predator. That's like the cross between a, a wolf and a velociraptor. So. I mean, they made a point to mention that, so I'm assuming that's gonna we're gonna encounter those in the game. Well, if what if what is gonna be the the death claw of of the of the Starfield <laughs> universe? Oh God, yeah. If it's a wolf and a velociraptor, it could be pretty big. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the death claw and the the troll the troll or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, I as you and I were kind of talking before, I think we have. I think it's safe to assume, or at least it's natural to assume that we have our three factions right here: uh, right. a crime syndicate, a military power, and then a more free uh, power of I mean, people, I guess. Rebels, <laughs> frontier, frontier people. Rebels. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I mean, it's 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 it kind of maps onto much of Bethesda's. Uh, structures of games so you can follow you've got the brotherhood of steel you've got um raiders and you've got i yeah. uh, i i guess uh, in, in some in some games you've got the, the minutemen in other games it's uh, uh it's, it's some people who are, who are on the i guess a little bit on the edge of society but there there's probably some good in them um, but it's more pragmatic good than lawful good um, yeah 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 Definitely. And then we, yeah. And I mean, obviously, with Bethesda, as we know, you know, we say good, not with uh, saying that they're the good guys, because, no, like, no. no, it could be anybody's game, really. Yeah. I mean, with, as with the Elder Scrolls game, you can be in, in any of the different factions. Uh, with uh, Fallout, you can be, you can, can win the game with each of the factions, or you can find a way to uh, help them. For more than one faction to be ascendant at the end, but normally it's, it's the case you tend to lean into one or the other. Um, yeah. So it's likely the game structure will allow you to pursue uh, each of those factions and win with each of those factions. So uh, and the outcomes of the game will be dependent upon which faction you you favour during your playthrough. Yeah, I agree. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of interconnectedness with me too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I, I caught those videos earlier on today as well, and I was very excited. I'm very, very excited about Starfield. Um, as much as Bethesda gets a good kick in online from the haters, uh, I'm I'm a, I'm I'm ride or die Bethesda when it comes to games. Um, so it, I'm very, very look very much looking forward to Starfield. Um, yeah, I'm ride or die too. I don't I don't particularly play the Fallout games, but I have, and you know I've enjoyed my time with them. But uh, yeah, I'm ride or die with Bethesda. And, and really, the only reason they get such a, uh, a you know, Bethesda becomes such a meme is with the next thing that we're going over. See, I can do transitions Indeed. too. Transition, love it. <laughs> Absolutely love it. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say. 
Oh, we'll come, we'll come. Yeah, we're coming back to Skyrim, the the quick yeah. announcement. Um, so this was this was heavily memed. Um, I don't know if, if anyone picked up on this, or if, if you've been under a rock, um, you would have missed the fact that um, we're coming up to the ten year anniversary of Skyrim, and uh, we can't reach a milestone like that without Bethesda giving us yet another release of Skyrim, and we were not disappointed. Um, now I think it's it's. Uh, I think this is all tied up a little bit in the new next generation consoles in lots of ways. Uh, and it's something I think a lot of PC players fail to uh, remember is that more than two thirds of all of Bethesda sales come from consoles. People think that it's PC Master Race, PC Master Race, but the most, the, the vast majority of the money that, these, that Bethesda's made over the years has come from console sales. Uh, yeah. And that's the case for Fallout, it's the case for Fallout for 4, it's the case for Fallout 4, it's the case for Skyrim. Um, so when there's a new console release, a new generation of console hardware, you got to expect them to do a little bit to uh, catch on that wave. And I think this is this is what we've done with the increase of the FPS, the increase in the screen resolution you now get with PS5s and Xbox One Xs. Um, for the, the next generation of players to experience Skyrim on this advanced hardware, they were always going to do something. And this is the, the thing they've done. Uh, so the PC yeah. players can 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 whine and moan and meme about it, but Bethesda are, <laughs> are paying attention to their core business. Yeah, um, Todd said if people stop buying it, we'll stop making it, or stop putting it on different systems. So, you yeah. know, obviously they're making money. Yeah. So I mean, so we've got a, a few things. Uh, there's some some nice like stuff around the site. There's the uh, there's the uh, Skyrim Museum, which is an online uh, illust. Uh, I guess gallery of uh, fan art and cosplayers that you can you can access through the Bethesda website to celebrate Skyrim's ten year anniversary. I had a quick look at that uh, yesterday. Um, there is the um, the free upgrade to the special edition, which is what there was a lot of confusion about this on the day of the of yeah. the announcement. There's a free upgrade to the cons to the special edition that includes fishing, that includes survival mode, and includes a new quest. Uh, con creation club content saints and sinners which is a daedric quest um involving shagraths uh saints and, and other types of daedric uh, nonsense so there's yeah, three three creation yeah, yeah three creation club content pieces that will be added to special edition for free in celebration of the 10-year anniversary but that's different from the anniversary edition and that's where a lot of people got mixed up because the anniversary edition is coming out um, and that's the big release for the consoles, and it'll be the big release for PC, where all 48 Creation Club uh, items will be included in the package. And that is what's going to cost. It's going to be a, it's going to be a, a paid upgrade for PC. And this is the, the, there was a lot of uh, people, streamers even, saying, "Oh, it's going to be a free upgrade." No, the yeah. anniversary edition is not a free upgrade. Um, they're going to. People are, I don't. They haven't released pricing, and I'm actually quite curious to see what kind of pricing they're going to put on it. I, I don't know. Have you have you bought much Creation Club content with 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 Skyrim? No, no, I have not. I was considering um, getting the uh, the Nixhounds, obviously because Dunmer mm -hmm. for life. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But uh, I, I didn't think it was that expensive. But you have to buy Bethesda's currency yes. on the website. You know, like the Todd like bucks. the equivalent of crowns. Todd yeah, bucks. Todd bucks. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes. I guess like that's. 12 bucks to get like a next sound that's yeah. something that i would pay for but i can see you know people who aren't like bethesda ride or dies um 
being upset about that. Yeah. Or just like saying that's a lot, because I mean, it could see being five bucks, you know. I mean, I, I, I'm I've always been quite open to the Creation Club. Um, again, I started my my gaming history is been mostly on PC, but for a big stretch in the in the uh, 2010s, from about 2015 to 2018, I was primarily a console gamer. I was primarily an Xbox gamer. Um, oh, okay. And uh, that's the that's the platform that I played I Fallout 4 and Skyrim on. And I, oh, for me, accessing mods was possible with those games. But I was aware of the fact that for uh, for many. Uh, people, especially PlayStation players, the mods you could get for uh, consoles was was very limited. So the Creation Club was filling a need, filling a need for yeah. a third of the playing public, um, because PlayStation sales account for a third of all Fallout 4 and Skyrim sales, just like Xbox is a third and PCs is a third. So a third of the playing public didn't have access to mods. Xbox players did. I did. I downloaded all mm. sorts of crazy mods uh, using the in-game mod manager that you got with consoles. Yeah. So I could yeah. see I could see the need for Creation Club. I could see it from the modders' perspective as well. I used to hang out in discords with people like Eleonora and, and Unreal. Uh, a lot of high, very prominent Skyrim modders, I, was in, I used to hang out in the discords. And these are the people who've, who've benefited from. And Chris Takahashi, who did uh, interesting NPCs, one of the best, the best oh, yeah. uh, Skyrim uh, mods. Um, yeah, absolutely. So Chris Takahashi, Eleonora, and, and uh, uh, many others, uh, Fading Signal, um, big Fallout 4 and Skyrim modders were taken in by Bethesda to actually be paid to create content. And I thought that was a really good thing for them. And yeah, credit, credit to them, none of the people who, who were connected to, to became exclusive Creation Club creators. Eleonora still publishes uh, Skyrim mods and, and Fallout 4 mods. Uh, mm -hmm. Chris, Chris has been a bit more quiet in the modding front. I'm ex I'm expecting something big from him from for Starfield, because um, he's always done a oh. massive package for he did it for Fallout Three, he did it for uh, Fallout Four, he's done it for Skyrim. I, it would be it would be crazy if Chris didn't come up with a massive quest mod for Jeez. for Starfield. Um, and he does really good companions. He does really good followers in his mods. Uh, so I'm hopeful I'm hopeful he would come up with something good for Starfield. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. their Creation Club content is top notch. Which is why I'm actually quite interested to see how much it's going to cost for the free up, for the upgrade to the anniversary edition because there is some good stuff in in the Creation Club. A lot of the mm -hmm. stuff for Fallout 4 and for Skyrim I've gotten free because every month they will occasionally have a creation free and you can just go in, you can get it, you don't have to pay for it. No Todd bucks, it's just free. You just take it. <laughs> uh, so I've I've accumulated in both Skyrim and Fallout 4 over the years quite a bit of Creation Club content for both simply from the free. Uh, the free the free giveaways um but it does todd box do cost does cost a lot of money so it'll be interesting yeah. to see how much they're going to charge for the anniversary upgrade because to spend to get all of those 48 creations including the ones that are released and the ones that aren't released would cost a lot of creation club dollars um and thus a lot of real world dollars so i'll be interested to see how they price it um but uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, i am i am very open to creation club yeah, I agree. I think it's a good a good system as well. I think, especially them paying creators to, to make stuff. I, I'm generally not against cash shops. Um, just they are not, uh, 
you know how like ESO does it. It's nothing that's game breaking or giving you any advantage. Um, so I, th I think like cosmetic stuff is perfect because like, do I really need a Nick Sound skin for a dog? No, but do I want it? Yeah, yes, you know, yes. like that's kind of you know. <laughs> yes. So and the quest stuff too, and that they actually pay people to do that uh, is is awesome. I think I think it's mm -hmm. good. Yeah. And to uh, what you were saying earlier about like a third of the population uh, on each console, and then on PC respectively. I think my history with Skyrim, I bought it on, uh, I used to play on PS4 a long time ago. So I bought it on PS4. I bought it for an old laptop that I had. I bought it for Nintendo Switch. I got it again for uh, on Steam. <laughs> and then mm -hmm. I have it again now for, uh, yeah, for, X, for Xbox. Um, mm -hmm. Is it like they like stream games now that I can play? So yeah, so it's like, you know, there are people who have purchased it a lot, and I'm sure, I mean, I don't think there's a lot of people who bought it as many times as me, but I'm sure there are, I'm not the only one. Yes, yes. That's uh, Bethesda just reaches into your wallet and leaves behind a copy of the next version. I see Bethesda, I just take my wallet and just throw it at them. That's basically what happens. <laughs> take, take my money. Yes, yeah. the classic um, Futurama gif. Yeah, exactly. Shut up I and take like my it. money. Yeah. So I, I say it, the QuakeCon had a lot of other stuff happening. Um, I guess I, Sky, Skyrim's announcement was quite brief, and but it was impactful on social media. Um, but there was a lot more that was talked about um, at, uh, at QuakeCon, and I guess the the, the biggest thing from a, a Elder Scrolls perspective would be the Waking Flame DLC. Yeah, that's um, a big one. So have you, have you had a chance to try the dungeons yet? I have not. So no spoilers, please. No, I, I haven't done the dungeons either. I I, I, feel, I barely even, I can barely even remember the names. Um, I know, I have, I'm having to look them up too. So prepared. Um, Red <laughs> Petal Bastion and the Dread Cellar. Red Petal Bastion, Dread Cellar, that's the ones. So there's, I mean, apparently there's some, some nice lore around it. There's the, the, the Imperial Battle Mages, um, um, and there's a Daedric Cultist theme to the other one. There's uh, some nice new body markings and face markings associated with some of the achievements. Um, for, uh, and they actually look pretty good, actually. It's Daedric, but not like overpowering Daedric, not like... And as you would have known from uh, the uh, body markings that have come out in the last 24 months, two years, the, the body markings are much more refined, that, like fine tattoos rather than just daubed on paint. Um, and uh, this one's this one's pretty good actually. Uh, it's one of those ones that I might actually try and do the achievement to get. Um, yeah, it looks good. I'm looking yes. at one of the screenshots on the site now, and yeah, it looks good. I agree. This become way more refined than just like this, the ones you got at base or not at base game at the beginning mm. or with one Tamriel with the just like smears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they've definitely upped their game with regards to the body cosmetics, and that actually. It's one of those things that uh, one of the other things about the Waking Flame DLC is we've got a new armor motif, uh, Waking Flame, funnily yeah. enough, um, which exposes a lot of skin when worn as, by a character. And this was uh, this is something that was I uh, picked up from Finn, the the dungeon designer in in Slashlar Extremes a couple of week, couple of weeks ago. He was saying that they specifically targeted uh, armor styles for this this year's release that would allow characters, allow players to have the characters display their body markings much more prominently, um, i.e. there's lots of skin on display. Um, yeah. 
which is always a big thing for the for the ESO fam for the fashion scrolls or fashion scrollsers out there. Motifs that show skin are always the pages that go for lots of money on guild stores. Um, the playing public want to be able to display their 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 finely honed character bodies. Um, it's definitely a big part of the the, the ESO fam fashion scrolls culture. I think so. I think they've, they've they've come up with a winner there. I think. Yeah, I think so too. They they look good. They're not necessarily my cup of tea, but I do see that you know they make all these uh, achievements or they give uh, rewards for achievements as body markings and you can't see mm-hmm. them like what's yeah. not, not what's the point of getting them but like you know it's like well what's the point of displaying them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah i think it's good but i didn't know that he had said that specifically and that's really cool they're paying attention yes. i feel like they do a good job of paying attention to us mm-hmm. i i'd agree uh, they're very all the devs are really involved on social media in the community they they, they interact on streams they they stream themselves now some some of them it's uh yeah and they're very open with with giving honest straightforward answers to to sometimes quite tricky questions um i'd say i'd say follow i'd say watch uh rich lambert stream solely for the feedback he gives chat it's uh, very very informative and people ask him questions and he'll say no nah, not happening or yeah we thought about that yeah. or yeah uh, <laughs> and it's it's really entertaining to to to, to listen to yes he he's like a no bs kind of guy and i and i really appreciate that <laughs> mm-hmm. and he's got lovely dogs they're always in the background yes. I'm a sucker for dogs on streams. An absolute sucker <laughs> yeah. for dogs on streams. Um, so, anyway, Waking Flame, the DLC release is just one part of a much bigger package of things that we've had to uh, adapt to in-game. Um, so the DLCs always come normally with big patches, uh, and we've had a lot of changes happen to ESO due to the Update 31 patch. Um, yeah. Not just not just the dungeons, not just the new armors. Um, We've had some big base game changes, uh, P- PvP cam changes, uh, PvP campaign changes. Last uh, was it last year? We had uh, the big uh, no proc meta in Cyrodiil, yes. where we. No, I think it was earlier this year. Was it this year? Oh yeah, you're right. It was this year. Yeah, I'm losing my time. Um, it was. It was from the start of this year till about June this year. We had the no proc meta in Cyrodiil, where they restricted the number of sets that were used to see if it would help the game's engine work better to get better performance on the server. It didn't. But what it did do, <laughs> what it did do is, did it, it, for a lot of players, it revitalized their interest in PvP because when you play on CP-enabled Cyrodiil uh, with all the, 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 the heavy proc sets, the sets that do extra damage based on conditions met by your attacks, um, the um, it can be very easy to die quickly. It can be very difficult to kill people. And for a lot of people, uh, it came down, it, it skewed the balance towards the sets that people were using rather than the skills of the player. So a lot of people liked the no proc meta uh, uh, from a gameplay perspective, which is why they have initiated uh, for the no CP campaign, the no champion point campaign is now no proc sets, which, uh, but they've expanded the range. I think there's about maybe 25 or so sets that will work that don't have these conditional extra damage uh, triggers. Um, so that campaign is uh, going to be interesting to play. And although at the moment, I will mm. say it's completely dominated by AD. Every single time <laughs> I've gone into the map uh, the past week, the map has been almost entirely entirely yellow. But there's been some Jeez. big, big shifts in who plays in which faction. 
And equally, I think there's been a hemorrhaging of players to other games in the last few months. Yeah. So the balance is completely skewed in Cyrodiil over the past uh, few weeks. It's very, very different feel uh, as a DC or an EP player. It's a very, very different feel in those campaigns. Now, it's all it's all uh, 80s everywhere. 80s pushing, 80s uh, smashing you. Um, so, and it's... I wonder it's, why that is. Why yeah. AD is, like, so alluring, like... I'm not sure. I'm no not offense sure. To, no offense to AD players. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, we can't all be perfect and be DC. I know. Um, no, uh, excuse yeah. me, we can't be perfect and be EP. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I think uh, I, there's been a lot of... Uh, I say I did a lot more PvP at the start of this year than the middle of this year. But um, one of the big things that happened was a, a lot of the EP top players moved to AD for uh, for reasons completely obscure to me. I, I, I don't understand why, but a lot of the big uh, Zerg leaders and ball group leaders moved from EP to AD. And I, I think a lot of DC players might have jumped ship to New World uh, in recent times. And yeah. as a result, so PvP. EP lost its strength to AD and DC have just lost people from the game, I think. Yeah. Uh, Makes so sense. It's, yeah, it's, it's a bit strange. But uh, equally, it, the way they've changed the campaign will hopefully bring some people back in because it's. Uh, they also did some things, changed the buffs and debuffs to. Uh, they, they, there's a uh, there's a TT uh, TT key or uh, TTK or TTD statistic they look for time to kill, time to die, um, in terms of how quickly people are dispatched with in Cyrodiil. And apparently the times times were just far too low based on on the, the the information they were able to get from the server people were able to kill you within like a second or two seconds people were able to die so so easily basically because they did lots of things today they nerfed health recovery health recovery is almost completely absent in Cyrodiil now. oh my god that's horrible uh, and they did that to stop the uh, everlasting tanks that you could never kill but as a result essentially everyone became a lot more squishy and uh, so it's always a constant balance they're always chucking in new armor sets they're always chucking in and occasionally they'll get new skill lines and uh, changes to skills in, in skill lines and it's just yeah. a constant balancing act they see how the game plays then they'll swing the pendulum in the other direction they see how the game plays they'll swing the pendulum back again and uh, there's a lot of churn there's a lot of churn in terms of players. There's a lot of churn in terms of the gear meta, um, and it can be I, exhausting. I don't, if, I don't know if this is something that came out of the PvP, but it is something that changed. They added um, a couple new smaller sections to the fitness uh, skill tree, or yes, I guess yeah, skill yes. tree added three, mm -hmm. three new sub constellations yeah. in the fitness tree. Yeah, and a lot of those, from what I've seen from some build guides, they've taken the fitness tree became very static. Uh, in CP, there was five uh, slottable constellations uh, that were almost always up there, uh, and maybe you sw swap one out maybe for PvP. Mm. But they've they've, they've they've nerfed some of them so to to make the the sub constellation the new ones, the new slottables from sub constellations more effective than existing ones. So there's a bit of a shift towards these new sub constellations. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. I I remember when they announced the new. Uh, skill tree system that they said that they were going to be adding to it so i think we can expect a lot of like fluidity with that in the future too Just yes good, i think yes i agree um okay so apart from the cyrodiil uh, there was one other big thing i wanted to mention uh 
that's made an absolutely huge difference for me. I don't know, I, I, I don't know how it is for other people, but multi-threading. Um, they've they've changed the way the, the game interacts with the CPU and PCs, so that instead of using one core um, of of a CPU, it can use all the cores of a CPU for the for the for the rendering. Um, now this is this is this has been a this has been a huge difference because I would I would walk through Daggerfall, I'd walk through Stormhaven, I'd walk through Vivek City, and my PC, which isn't a slouch, it's just an RTX twenty seventy and an i seven nine seven hundred, so it's not. It's a couple of years old, but it's still pretty decent, especially for a game that was released in 2015 or 2014. Um, yes, I, I would walk through those towns, and my frame frame rate would drop from 100 to oh my god to 60. Yeah, you know, sometimes 40 in in some of the bigger towns, and it wasn't GPU limited; it was CPU limited. It's because the CPU was only using one core. With multi-threading, which they've which they've brought in with update 31, um, I now get a steady top end frame rate everywhere oh, even in yeah. even in Blackreach, where i could not play what? last year what about Merkmire? what about Merkmire? Merkmire top completely fine oh top end uh, frame rate limited completely fine wow i elsewhere again with all the sand effects oftentimes that would be a killer for frame rate fine i i've, I've this is this is a crazy thing i had to actually decrease my frame rate cap from 100 to 80 that allow my GPU to keep up with the extra capacity it was getting from the CPU. So I, I, I to keep the my, my computer temperatures at a reasonable level and the fan speed and sound at a reasonable uh, level, I, I, I brought my frame rate cap down back down to 80, which is still sweet, still really smooth. Um, but yeah. I don't get any I don't get any frame drops anywhere. Um, oh. the game's working really, really well. And I, I, I hats off to, to Zenimax for doing what they did there because it's uh, it's given it's future proofed the game a lot for uh, older old, older PCs. Um, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I think, yeah, brings means more people can play the game. <laughs> yeah, and that's the bottom line. Player numbers yeah. is what it's all about with MMOs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now the last thing I wanted to to mention about uh, the the new the new update the new patch is that they did something which I think everyone will appreciate which is they um they changed the targeting priority so that oh uh, yes so that you no longer so your character no longer fixates on pets rather than crafting stations mm -hmm. and i've noticed it's made a different big difference to my ability to hand my writs in um mm -hmm. so i'm very very happy about that um, i've noticed that too it's so much nicer especially when i just you know e e e e e, e press e <laughs> mash yeah. it put them over there yeah 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 yeah, it can be very, very frustrating. Very, very frustrating. Yes, indeed. Um, so I think that was all I had to, that I wanted to talk about with uh, the patch. Um, nothing else seems to catch my interest. There's lots of new armor sets. There's a couple of new ones for Cyrodiil that would be really handy for dealing with ball groups. Um, but I haven't had a chance to play with them yet, so I might talk about them more on the next podcast. But uh, for now, some new ones with the new dungeons too. That, oh, I mean, as a tank, I just look at the heavy sets, and one of them's really good. I think it's the Black Rose one, but we'll, maybe we could talk about that once we have experience with them. Yeah, I think that's a good plan. I think that's a good plan. Yeah. Um, so I think shall we get into into the the, the lore? Shall yeah, I? Can, well, yeah. I'll hand I'll hand over to you. And you can you can you can regale me with some Tamriel Obscura. 
Oh, wow. Okay. So we're getting into that section now. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. So, okay. So as I kind of stated before, like I like the very small corners of, uh, lore in this series. And, um, that's kind of what this big section or the first section of this is, uh, a lot of my interests and includes a lot of like, I think just text people don't read because they're long and a little bit confusing. So my approach to, I guess, how my approach has always been and how it's going to be in this, you know, in this venue is going to be to really kind of be conversational about it because I think it's more accessible for people to talk about uh, texts like the 36 Lessons of Vivek and talk about how just kind of like really crazy it is and how kind of insane <laughs> these words sound and yeah. you know and i'm not and i'll say this like right up front like my interpretations i'm not saying are 100 percent right this is just all coming from me and we have to remember too these texts all in-game sources are all secondhand so mm-hmm. even interpretation is really up to the reader and yeah, the reader yeah, being yeah. myself and you know because i'm the one who interpreting these for the sake of this podcast but mm-hmm, if you have mm-hmm. different interpretations in it i mean we're gonna we're gonna give a um an email address at the end of this thing and uh definitely definitely feel free to email in uh maybe your different takes on these various things that i go through and i mean i love i love first off i love being told hey actually i think this is what this means and i love having my mind being uh, massaged, if you will, by other opinions. So always feel free to reach out to us at this email we'll provide at the end of the section. Um, so with all that being said, the first thing that I am really delving into is this uh, overarching noble house uh, in Morrowind. It's kind of like a, a lesser, uh, lesser house, if you will. It's not one of the big five, as we know are House Redoran, House Lalu, House Indoril, House Dress, and House Tavani. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an old house called uh, House Mora. And specifically, we're going to be looking at House Mora and this clan or family within House Mora called the Rathrim clan. And that's spelled R A apostrophe A T H I M. Okay. Um, this is new to me. I've, no, I've never heard of this, this clan. So this is cool. Yeah. You'll, the, it, inter, it intertwines with many characters that you'll know of, um, that you'll have heard of and read about and even met. So, yeah. Um, first off, if you will be so kind, I'm going to hop in the show notes. Kind of a, a little bit of a meaty um, excerpt from the 36 Lessons of Vivek. I'll just okay, post it at the cool. very end, okay? Sure. If, you, just, if you just be... I'll take a look. If, if you just be so kind to read it. Uh, give me sure. a second, we make it black here. Let me just get my Google Docs up. And then we'll kind of talk about this. This quote mm-hmm. that I'm uh, having Dave read is going to uh, branch off into many different things that we'll be talking about, about Clan Rathlin and House Mora. So whenever so, you've got it up, I'll make scrolling it down, I'm scrolling down. Oh, so you want, you want to read all the text in red? Yeah, yeah. if you'd be so kind. <laughs> sure, I can read this one. Thank you. All right, so 
the warrior poet appeared as a visitation in the ancestor alcove of House Mora, whose rose-worn Prince of Garlands was a hero against the northern demons. The vet con congregated with bones, he said. A scavenger cannot acquire a silk sash and expect to discover the greater systems of his predecessor. Perfect happiness is embraced only by the weeping. Give me back and do so freely what is barren of my marriage, and I will not erase you from the thought realm of God. Your line has a notable enchantress that my sister I am is fond of, and from her murky wisdom alone do I condescend to ask. Thank you very much for reading that. I very much appreciate that. That was no very good. A lot better than I could do, because those had focused wording sometimes. Um, so, he is the poet, yes. after all, isn't he? He is the poet, he is. Um, so yeah, this this uh, this uh, section comes from Sermon 22 of 36 Lessons of Vivek. Um, something that I forgot to mention uh, in my little preface was it's very important to me that I source every one of my uh, articles and things that I talk about. So I will be periodically sourcing where I get my information from. Um, I think when you talk about lore, a lot of people, some people who are uh, more... Uh, or gatekeepy, um, like to just like say things without sourcing them. So it's very important to me that we source the materials. Yes, yes. <laughs> so everybody can have a chance to read it. That's that's mm -hmm. what I want. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so going back to that, that comes from Sermon 22. This sermon kind of starts off. So the the warrior poet of, uh, appearing as a visitation in the ancestor alcove of House Mora. So the ancestor alcove, uh, we can. Uh, assume is the ancestor tomb. So, as mm -hmm. you know, as most of us know, the ancestor tomb is a big part of Denmary culture. And so, Vivek hangs out, or Vivek comes from this place called the Provisional House, which is, in my interpretation, a place outside of time. So, he kind of goes back. He's going in this sermon at the beginning of the sermon, he's going back in time and popping into this alcove of House Mora. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what time he's going, uh, going back, but it is, um, I believe it's before the tribunal. No, it can't be. It's a little bit after the tribunal come to Providence. Okay. So sometime in the first era. Mm -hmm. So he's coming back to this, uh, house and he's looking for one of the children that he sired with Mulalag Ball. He, as many people, as many people may know, if you don't. Vivek and Molagbal, in previous uh, previous sermons, they had relations, and I'll kind of just leave it at that. Um, mm -hmm. And they had children, and a lot of the sermons is Vivek like hunting them down. So this particular child is called the Treasure Wood Sword, and it's, it's what, we, what we can assume is an actual sword. Um, and it's a child of Vivek. I don't Vivek's weird. <laughs> yes, so, yes, they are. Yes, they are. Yeah, they are very weird. Yes, they are. Um, yeah, so Vivek goes to this uh, ancestor alcove, ancestor tomb of House Mora, because they have the treasure wood sword. And the reason they have it is because, uh, or actually, we don't know the reason why they have it, but we know they have it due to some deal with Mephala. Uh, Mephala bargained with uh, House Mora and basically told them that they can have this sword. They can keep it. To what ends, we don't know, but House Mora is in possession of one of Vivek's children. 
This is why mm -hmm. he goes to the Aquals, to mm -hmm. the ancestor tomb. Um, and he just has a few moments here. I'm just catching up on my show notes here. Okay, so in this section, uh, in the quote we read that he congregated with the bones. So there's this bone walker that appears to him as a yeah, bone walker. You know, we know what a bone walker is. It's like what the necromancers um, kind of summon, but it's a, like a protector of this tomb, of this house or a tomb. And the bone walker tells Vivek that, hey, Mephala said that we can have this thing. We can have this treasure wood sword. So he kind of he kind of says, go away. You know, like it's, it's out of, <laughs> it's out of your hands. <laughs> uh -huh. And Vivek, <laughs> Vivek, <laughs> I'm pulling up a quote here quickly on uh, what Vivek says. So Vivek basically is like, let's see if it's in, if I have it in my notes. I want to read a little section. Mm -hmm. He said, uh, he says to the bone walker, serve no guarantees made in my fore image and demand nothing of its underskin. So serve no guarantees. So basically don't obey any promises and made in my fore image. So his anticipation, right? The mm -hmm. thing that came before him. Yeah, yes. And demand nothing of its underskin. So I'm assuming that means of its brain or demand nothing of its, you know, person. Demand. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Don't believe them. So, and so hearing this, Vivek is like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. So he goes to the, he finds, he gathers and reaches out to, quote, the dark mothers of the Morag Tong. And he finds these dark mothers. I don't know where they are, but he finds them. Um, I interpret that dark mothers being more as uh, just general assassins, like mm -hmm. assassins of the Morag Tong. And he basically sits, he sends them out all into House Mora and specifically Clan Rathen and has them, uh, well, it's, it's the interpretation's a little weird, but it, ultimately he has them integrate with House Rathen. So from that point on, the Morag Tong and the House Rathen are integrated with uh, are, are integrated with one another. Uh huh. Um, okay. So, the that's one of the reasons why I enjoy House Rathen so much is because this sermon kind of shows that they are one in the same, or they have significant influence on House on the Morag Tong, or many members yeah, yeah. come from the Morag Tong. Now, again, we can't really. We can't really give much credence to Vivek being truthful here because, as we all know, he is a notorious liar and he himself says that he's a liar. Um, so, you know, we don't know how that happens, but we do know for a fact that Morikong and House Rathen are somehow intertwined. Mm -hmm. so that's mm -hmm. this is one origin of them. Um, uh, these dark mothers take the uh, leader of House Mora and put him in. The corner, quote unquote, corner of Dagon. So, uh, as, as we as we all know, uh, Marin's Dagon is one of the four corners, four enemies of the Dunmer people. Yeah. So he puts them. He, I'm assuming, you know, put being placed in the corner of Dagon. I think pretty much says that he's been banished to the to the um, the Deadlands. That's at yeah. least what I can assume. Yeah. Uh huh. And uh, interesting quote that I'm not quite sure 
where it comes for what it means, but he, the assassins, the Morakong assassins, uh, made his eyes a fire prayer for the wicked, and his mouth was stuffed with birds. That doesn't sound very pleasant. It doesn't sound pleasant. Um, I was reading up on another source. Um, it's called the the New Whirling School. Um, it's a website that you can find. They do a very they do an annotated um, uh, annotated uh, thirty six lessons of event basically. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. They have yeah. They have a very interesting interpretation about this. I I recommend people to go to the just search the New Whirling School. 36 Lessons of Avec. It's a very interesting read on the annotations mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so again, there's a lot of interpretations from this little section of this sermon that uh, we have, but um, it's basically kind of setting the stage for House Rathen, this, or excuse me, Clan Rathen having these larger implications in uh, within the Dun- Dunmary culture. You don't yeah. really see a lot of houses or clans really being mentioned in the 36 lessons of Avec, um, you know, let alone super small ones. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. There has to be a so, fair amount of significance attached to that then. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's kind of like the big explainer of things now, like the explainer of this, this house, this clan. Um, and this will be into the part where we start hearing some interesting names. So, uh, Inderil Nerevar, his full name is actually Inderil Nerevar Mora. So his ah. birth house is that house. Mm-hmm. And how naming conventions in Dunmary uh, culture work is you are, it's your great house name first, your your actual name, and then your, your last name, your family, your family name. Sure, sure. So Inderil Nerevar Mora. Mora. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting. So <clears throat> House Mora, Clan Rathen, kind of one and the same, or I guess ha- uh, House Mora is an umbrella house over Clan Rathen. Clan Rathen, yeah. And, uh, yeah, just an interesting connection. Um, yeah. So that's something that's, uh, that's one big character that pops up. Um, mm-hmm. We'll move into an- another text called uh, King Edward. And this text shows up in Daggerfall. Uh, it's a very long text, and I'll admit I have not read all of it, <clears throat> but I have read most of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's uh, I have I can't find any sources saying if it's um, if it's true or not, but I think it's also a, a historical fiction, an in-game piece of historical fiction, um, because in this in this book you get like people riding dragons and like unicorns, which we know there's. Like likely not that many unicorns. Yeah, yeah, definitely. not that many in Tamriel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we in the quote that you so kindly read earlier, the Vivek mentioned uh, that he was. Uh, let me go back to the quote here. It was uh, that this rose-worn prince of garlands was a part of House Mora and who was a hero against the Northern demons. Uh, mm-hmm. This rose-worn prince is named Moriellen. Uh, he is a definitely a hero against the Nords. Um, mm-hmm. He is w- one, a part of the f- uh, family that were uh, nobility and eventually became rulers of Ebonheart, a city that we've all been to many Indeed, times. Yes. Probably. Indeed. Uh, it's, that's a main place for uh, uh, outfitting for me. 
Because it has good lighting. Oh, of course, yeah, because it's out in the open. Yeah. Yeah, yep, right mm -hmm. there. Very much so. It's a very good spot, and it's very close to the Way Shrine, as I mentioned yes. quite a few times in the yeah. streams, actually. Yeah, it's, a very, it's, yes. it's one of my favourite places to go to. It's the, one of the quickest ones to get to. Yeah. Yeah, and it has one of the best temples, uh, at least in my experience, besides besides Amalekia's temple, but it has one of the best uh, temples in the game, too. I think it's a really, really good one. Okay. Like Tribunal temples. But yeah, so this Rosewarn Prince, Moriellen, they call him the Rosewarn Prince because he wears roses on his armor. That's mm -hmm. I think that's the <laughs> deck is very a very astute uh he pays attention, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Quite literal in his descriptions. Quite literal, yeah. Uh and so he was around during the first era, uh first era four sixteen, I believe. That is when the Nords, the first empire of the Nords, uh, made their conquest over into uh, Morrowinds. Mm -hmm. Now, that is a fact that just came off the cuff. Let me just check that out here. Um, so Moriellen basically was one of the fighters along with uh, his two brothers, uh, his, uh, his brother Cruethus and his half-brother Effin. Um, they together fought against the Nords and liberated Ebonheart from Nordic rule, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. Uh, Kruithis ended up becoming the king of uh, Ebonheart, so he was the actual bona fide leader of Ebonheart, and Moriellen became the king after Kruithis passed. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, Moriellen is interesting because in the uh, oh, in King Edward, uh, he we find out that he meets a dragon. He's one of the people that rides the dragon that I was talking about earlier. Mm -hmm, he meets mm -hmm. this dragon in Thang Lair, a dungeon we've all been to as well. Yes, indeed. He meets this dragon, a golden dragon, who's living there. He helps remove a cursed tooth from the mouth of this dragon and was, and, uh, was granted an ebony blade that he ended up calling Dragon's Tooth. Uh-huh. So this is a this is a knight who was taught not to kill dragons. This is a knight. He's he's not necessarily a knight. He's he's called uh, a witch king, which is not a bad. He's not like a bad guy. It's just he's just called a witch king. So so the reason like I say a... that is because that's 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 Geralt gets called in a TV show. Oh yeah, yes that's right because of the golden and it's dragon. A golden, it's like and the it's same a golden thing. dragon. Yep. Yeah. Oh, you're right. I didn't even catch that. Wow, I'm such a bad Witcher fan. No, no, you're not. I know you're a crazy Witcher fan. But yeah, it just, it just gonna, and he's called the Witch King. It's even more uh, interesting little, little yeah. connection. It's quite funny. I know. It is really interesting. I think it. Yeah, the Witch King of Ebonheart. That's what, that's one of his, uh, one of his titles. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. So he. Yeah, I thought it was just some interesting tie-ins where this house is. Tied into Moritong, uh, tied into Ebonheart, which we all see, and tied into Fang Lair in a way. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's Moriellen. This is another interesting character. He's a very interesting character from um, that King Edward in game text. Um, you can find all of these texts on in full on UESP. UESP.net. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a great source. It's a great source. Yeah, yeah, I definitely recommend reading them. Like I said, uh, King Edward is 12 parts, so, you know, you don't have to read it all at once, but it's definitely a very, very good 
And it's easy to read. Like it, it, it flows well. Um, there's a lot of other things that happen with Effin. Um, he's the half brother, so he's not technically uh, of Wrath of the Rathen clan, but uh, he becomes. I'll just touch very very shortly on him. Um, he becomes sort of a god or a saint in the tribunal temple. Um, there's a cult dedicated to him. He's not really talked about. We don't really see him a lot in the games, uh, at least in Elder Scrolls Online. Um, but uh, he's a very interesting figure. And maybe we'll talk about him later at another time. But uh, yeah, he's, he's definitely interesting. But since he's not technically of Clan Rathen, he's not going to be a focus. Mm-hmm. Because I have at least one other character to focus on. Yeah, we'll just focus on one other character who's my favorite character who doesn't appear. Well, she's my favorite character who's a small character, I guess you could say. Um, and her name is Kataraya. And we'll know that's the name because Carlia um, is like the granddaughter of Kataraya, I think, or a distant uh-huh. relative. Okay. Kataraya from the, night, the Nightingales. Um, yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Skyrim. And we know that there's a ship uh, in, I think it's in Solitude's Harbor called the Kataraya. I think uh, the, the, during the wedding quest, like someone sells in on that, I think. Mm-hmm. I, could, I could be wrong, but there's a ship named after Kataraya. So sh- she was also from House Mora uh, in Clan Rathen. So, or no, she was from Clan Rathen, so therefore she was also of House Mora. Therefore also um, of House Mora, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, by this time, and I'm looking up the dates here really quickly, House Mora has um, integrated with House Flala. Um, Clan Rathen is still doing its own thing. Um, mm-hmm. House Mora is definitely like a, a lesser house in, underneath House Mora, but Rathen still are the nobility of uh, Evanhart. And this is in the third era, early third era. Okay. Um, talking like third era, first, first 300 years of the first era, at least. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, basically there was this big, um, there was this uh, civil war that was happening during the time either like right before Tiber Septim came into power or right as he came into power. There's mm-hmm. a so this there's this civil war called the War of the Red Diamond, who uh, Potema was involved in. You know Potema as mm-hmm. the Wolf Queen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she uh, basically was just trying to usurp the throne for her own reasons. And um, yeah, uh, the nobility of Ebonheart sided with Potema in this battle. Why they sided with, you know, the why they sided with uh, Potema at this time and pretty much the rest of Morrowind with the Empire, I don't know, but they side, they sided with them. And obviously we know from the Wolf Queen, we know Potema lost and Piper Septim came to power and the Septim dynasty happened. Yeah. Um, so in order to grant favor with the, uh, to gain more favor with the Empire again, um, the House Rathen wanted to, uh, hold on a second, I'm sorry. Yeah, um, House, uh, Clan Rathen wanted to, uh, gain favor again with it. So they're like, all right, we need to, like, set somebody up to maybe have a political marriage. Um, so, Kataraya was 
weeded out as a potential candidate to marry Pelagius III. Well, we know Pelagius III, and I'll touch on him in a second. Um, but uh, yeah, Caterai was uh, weeded out by the Empire. She was selected to be the wife of Pelagius because she was, uh, I'm going to find this exact quote here. She was a, a shrewd diplomat, and she was, well, I guess I just only wrote shrewd diplomat, but she was a very shrewd diplomat, and she was uh, very good at making decisions because at that time, Pelagius was becoming Pelagius the Mad, and we know him from Sheogoras' questline. Uh, I believe it's Sheogoras, where we find his hippo in Skyrim. Okay, yeah. Right? So many like interconnections with this. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what's mm-hmm. so interesting to me about all these pieces. They're just like all these names that you recognize. That's so really cool. Yeah. Right? Right? Mm-hmm. So she was set up to be married to Pelagius. Um, they had they ended up having a child so, together. Um, yeah. And uh, they uh, they as in the, the empire, the people in the empire chose her to basically succeed Pelagius as he was going mad um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a lot of people think that Pelagius went mad due to Potema making him mad uh, you know doing all her witchcraft and stuff because people thought that she was doing that and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know maybe there's some way to that maybe not you gonna have to do the quest in Skyrim um, <laughs> no spoilers <laughs> no spoilers no spoilers um yeah, so that's that's basically the reason why. And she became the first, and as far as I know, the only Dunmeri ruler of, of the Empire, which is pretty, wow. fun, pretty freaking badass, I think. And she was a member of Clan Rathen and House Mora? Member of Clan Rathen, House Mora, yep. The same house that's tied with the Mora Kong, the same house that's tied with the Ebonheart nobility. Um, uh-huh. At the time when she was picked out, she was actually serving as a Duchess of Mar of Bar- Barnabel. So okay. We can I wonder if she, I wonder if she I wonder if she stood like the duchesses do in ESO. That <laughs> yeah, personality. With the hand out, yep. with the hand out, and the <laughs> nose turned up. <laughs> yeah. So she became Cataraya the first. She was called Empress Regents, and her reign lasted for forty six years. Um, that's that's quite a long time. Yeah, quite a long time. And uh, it was known as being the Empire's most celebrated years, the Third Empire's most celebrated years. So apparently it was a very good rule. Um, a lot of people didn't like her, obviously, because she was a Denmark. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think the facts stood as they were, that they were um, very prosperous years. Um, wow. Some people called that, called the, uh, called Katarai's ascension to power, or to her emperor, empressness. Uh, as the decline of the Septon dynasty, though, because her son was a half Dunder, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he ended up becoming a, uh, uh, the king after that, or the empire emperor after that, and then kind of deteriorated from there. It was a lot of different, uh, a lot of different things that happened at that after that. But, but yeah, so sh- short-term gain for long-term loss of dynasty, I guess. Yeah, Septons. Absolutely, and I think there was a lot of other things that were were happening as well. Um, it's a lot of yeah, internal strife. Um, but yeah, it's 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 cool to see that. And that's why she's one of my favorite characters in the, in the lore because she was a freaking empress of the empire. Like, come mm-hmm. on, it's crazy. Yeah, that's that's hardcore. That's uh, you can't get much higher than that. Mm-hmm. 
You cannot. Yeah, it's... Unless she was a good empress, too. You know, not even that. It was like, you know, she used her throne or something like that uh, through war or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I, mean, I won't go over these other other characters, but uh, other notable figures from House Rathen, or from Clan Rathen, excuse me, are uh, Baron Zaya, as who we all know from Baron Zaya. Oh, is. yes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's it's a, a name very, that, it's a name that It's a name that uh, causes shivers of dis- of pain for Skyrim players. <laughs> yeah. Trying yeah, to collect all the stones. Shivers of pain and shivers of other things when they read your story, her exploits with Khajiits oh. and Dunmer alike. Oh, I haven't. I have not uh, partaken in that li- that source of literature. I must. I must check out the uh, Imperial Library. Is uh, <laughs> in the podcast. Yeah. It's just... You should. Okay. You would enjoy it. It's it's the good the real Baron Zaya. Oh, there's two. There's one. The real Baron Zaya, and then uh, there's another text too. I forgot the name, of it, but it's also about Baron Zaya. Spicy text. Wonderful. Yeah, spicy text. Another one of those uh, in-game works of fiction. Uh, mm-hmm. One of them is. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, and that's, then Kat- that's added to my reading material. Yes, yes, it's a good one. And then the other name that I mentioned already was Carlia, because um, she's uh, related to Cataria. So mm-hmm. Carlia is, as we know, Nightingale. She's also very badass in the game, and she's yes. one of the coolest yes. characters. Yes. Uh, one of the NPCs that sticks in the memory from that particular quest line. Yeah, she's cool. I, I really like her a lot. Um, but yeah, there was a smattering of other like, um, there was a smattering of others, uh, mostly nobles that you encounter in um, in the other various games, but House Rathen, or excuse me, Clan Rathen has a very big influence on Morrowind uh, over the eras. And, you know, you wouldn't really expect it from a house that doesn't have any claim uh, to Morrowind's, to Morrowind society, I guess, or yeah. to Morrowind's system, like 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 House Redoran or Tavan, right? It's the hidden power. I mean, it's, uh, mm-hmm. the, the connection to the Moratongs, obviously, uh, I mean, it also explains yeah. why there's still nobility, even in the Third Age, uh, Third yeah. Era. Um, Nobility mm-hmm. to have a source of income, and I guess the Moritong have a fairly good source of income. <laughs> yeah, and we can we can uh, we're led to believe that they pretty much held Ebenhart's, uh, you know, held Ebenhart. They serve as leaders of Ebenhart well mm-hmm. until the Third Era. So that's, that's cool. three eras, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's my section. I know it was a little rambly. Apologies, that was. Uh, oh, that was wonderful. About, but... That was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for for for. It. Giving us that 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 little glimpse into into Dunmer history that was wonderful. Absolutely, absolutely. thank you. Um, so in game you've disappeared. You logged out. Uh, I think game kicked oh, you. Oh man. Okay, I'll log back. Maybe I'm just uh, expressing my more tongueness and I just yes, you're just disappearing, sense. disappearing. <laughs> well, to talk about a pivot, we're going to go from Nightingales to Nightshade, as we switch from. Um, Tamriel Obscura to uh, Cynical Alchemy, which is uh, my little segment of this uh, of the Lord Deep Dives that we're going to be doing. Um, so I'll give a little bit of background as to how I'm going to approach this particular aspect of, of lore, um, because it's not just going to be confined to the world of Tamriel, and there's going to be some specific reasons for that. Um, now, as I said at the beginning of, of the podcast, um, 
I am a scientist in real life. That's my day job. That's what I have to do uh, when I'm not playing ESO. Um, specifically, I'm a chemist, um, which is why my gamer tag has the word alchemy in it. Um, so when I do, so when I do an RPG of, of any type, uh, or uh, whether it's science fiction, whether it's uh, fantasy, when I see alchemy, when I see chemistry in game, I approach it in a very particular way, um, because in many cases I understand the chemical underpinning of many of the effects that are, the effects that are used for common poisons or, or other reagents, and I, I in, in combination with that. Um, chemical understanding. I also have a deep love for the history of science. And often when you look into the into the, uh, the understanding or the discovery of some of these poisons or chemicals, you find a lot of really curious, funny little things. Um, so I've always been interested in that in the real world. So what I'm going to try to do with this segment is I'm going to try and bring that same kind of approach to in-game alchemy, uh, understanding, uh, try, trying to connect uh, what the region is, what it does, with how it's actually encountered in the game. So my plan will be that I'll, I'll talk about the, uh, the, the in-game reagent, how we use it in-game. I'll talk about whether there's a real-world analogue and how that analogue was discovered and used and even how it was talked about in antiquity and folklore. Because I think that's a nice little pivot point between the real world and the game world because we have our myth mythology, we have our folklore, which is our fantasy, which is our real-world fantasy. And a lot of these regions are very prominent in, in those types of uh, uh, common knowledge, common history. Um, but because I'm a chemist, I want to think about how it affects the human body uh, how, how it's, uh, and how that is expressed in the real world relative to the game world. So there's going to be a lot of crossover here between reality and fiction. But the common the, the, the common central rock, the, the point of, uh, of pivoting, is going to be the actual region itself. So. I mentioned Nightshade. Nightshade is my choice for the first episode. Um, it's a very, very common poison in Elder Scrolls games. You can It's very easily recognisable because in the game they make it like it is in the real world, which is a green plant with purple flowers. Um, it's a lot more recognisable in Skyrim, I'd say. In ESO, quite often from a distance you'll mistake for Blessed Thistle because the purple flowers are quite small in ESO. Um, but uh, it's there in the game, we harvest it all the time. Um, and it's uh, it's harvested a lot in game. Um, yeah, I feel like I come upon it a lot, quite a lot. Just, yeah, you know, grass areas or anything. Mm -hmm. like. And one of the reasons it's harvested a lot is because in ESO it's part of the meta for damage dealing. Um, oh, okay. It's it's one of the reagents that is both a long term uh, health damage and a short term health damage, ravage health and gradual ravage health, which means that in combination with another two reagents, it, it is the poison you slot when you want to do meta DPS. Um, and it's the mirror of the crown damage health poison that you get, which has also got the long and the short term oh. health health damage. So it's it's integral to meta play gameplay, Nightshade. So it's it's a very prominent reagent in, in, in ESO. Um, interestingly, um, it does have some other uh, aspects of its damaging in ESO. It also causes vulnerability. And reduced healing so it is probably the hardest hitting of any reagent that causes damage in the game it's got the long and short term effect it, it, it essentially debuffs you with some vulnerability and reduces your ability to heal so if you if, if it was able just to do its job as a single reagent it would be it'd be crazy powerful but you always have to pair these reagents with at least one other that's got the same trait to actually get the trait in the poison you're using so it's uh 
but it's, it's an interesting set of four attributes for a, for a reagent. It's very, very powerful. Um, in Skyrim, um, the lingering effect isn't on health recovery, isn't on health, it's on stamina, and it, it reduces magic regen. So it's it's not quite as powerful, you'd say, as, as, a, as a poison in Skyrim, as it is in ESO, but it's still pretty tough. Um, and, it, and obviously, if, I'm not a big alchemy user in Skyrim in general, but I, I, ESO is a game where you can't get past using alchemy. It's part of the meta for, yeah. for, for all aspects of the game. Yeah, um, you absolutely need to use alchemy there. I've, yeah, I know there's people who do crazy... Well, this is tangential, but it would be cool to do like a Witcher build where you have like alchemy as one of your main sources of, what? I don't know, damage. That would be cool. Yes, I, funnily enough, it's one of the reasons I like using the Clever Alchemist uh, armor set in Cyrodiil. Clever Alchemy okay. is, a, is a crafted set um, that you can uh, that, that procs a, a significant weapon damage when you when you clog down a potion, and mm. it's the it's the meta for some builds in Cyrodiil. Um, so, and I think it's very Witcher-like. You take a potion and suddenly you get a massive boost of, of weapon damage. So yeah, it's, that's very Witcher-like. Yeah, so I, I like using it for <laughs> Geralt, my Stam Sword. Yeah. So it's it's pretty appropriate. cool. Indeed, indeed, it's very appropriate. Um, but that's the end game nightshade. Um, I find that the, the real life night, nightshade is is even more interesting than end game nightshade. So I'll spend a bit of time talking about that. Um, the real the Latin name for uh, deadly nightshade is Atropa belladonna. Now most organisms in the real world have got this Latin nomenclature. There's two component to the, na to, the, to the naming, so like Homo sapiens, Canis familiaris, and it's the same for plants. Atropa belladonna, it was given this name by Carl Linnaeus, the botanist who actually developed this naming structure for organisms in the real world. Um, but the name itself is steeped in history, it's steeped in the properties of the, of the, of the poison. Atropos is one of the three mythic Greek fates, the pseudo-goddesses that determine the outcome of all things. Atropos is the goddess that cuts the thread of life. It's the god. It's the goddess that ensures that beings come to an end, that they die. Um, so I think that's a wonderful first part to the name of this deadly nightshade, which is a really, really powerful poison. Um, appropriate, yeah. <laughs> so I, I love the the connections to antiquity with these things. Uh, again, it's, it's it's this bridge between fantasy uh, fantasy universes and the mythic past of our own universe. Um, so I, I, love, I love it when science leans into these things. Um, yeah. The other part of the name Belladonna is Italian for, for beautiful lady. Um, and it's not a question, and in, in many areas of science, you, there's an inherent misogyny that has uh, reared its head. Um, but this isn't an incidence of it. It's not saying that all women are deadly. It's specifically named Belladonna because uh, extract of nightshade was used in the uh, Renaissance Italy by women to increase the dilation of their pupils. They actually dropped put drops of uh, nitrate extract into their eye to widen their pupils so they would look more beautiful. So Jeez. it wasn't as, as used as a poison that uh, the that Carl Linnaeus was 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 using for the name. He was using its use in, in the 1400s and 1500s by uh, Italian women to make themselves more beautiful. Again, a, a wow. really really interesting. Uh, historical connection um, but it's it's a poison it's a very very deadly poison it's incredibly dangerous the fruit is appealing to the eye 
and it has resulted in many, many accidental poisonings over the centuries and millennia. Um, but the, they this look is like their, blueberries, kind of. I mean, they could yeah. be looking like blueberries. Yeah, exactly. They're a very, very uh, attractive looking uh, fruit. So if you don't know what you're looking for, you might just pop it in your mouth and you'd be in trouble. <laughs> um, but interesting, this is, this is the, I, love, I love this one. It's not the most, it's not the part of the plant that's got the most poison. The berry doesn't have the most poison. Um, the active chemical that, that causes the poisoning is uh, only present in sparing amounts in the berries. Now, I thought how, could, how I could explain this. Um, if you were reading, if we were, if this was a Harry Potter lore cast, I would tell you that the Half-Blood Prince would have annotated his potion book to tell you to grind the leaves or the roots and not to crush the berries. Okay. Okay. Because it's the leaves and the roots that have almost five times as much oh. the active chemical than the berry does. Well, that makes sense to me in a way because if you know berries, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like fruit are the the modus, the mode of transportation for most seeds, like you know, animals eat it and stuff. True. You, so you it want makes it. Sense that, yeah, it makes it makes sense that it wouldn't be the thing that kills the the thing that's eating it. Yeah, yeah, or not not poisonous, but not the most poisonous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Curiously, actually, there are some there are some animals that aren't affected by um, nightshade poison. Rabbits, cows, and bees do not get affected by the poison of nightshade. Um, huh. Which, uh, huh. but uh, apparently, there are incidental poisonings by people eat, consuming rabbits who've consumed too much nightshade. Oh wow! Because <laughs> the the, the chemical will, will accumulate in the in the system of the rabbit. It won't do anything to the rabbit, but it'll do something to the people who eat the rabbits. Interesting. Wow, that's crazy. So I guess um, you'd have to be careful if you're a hunter in places where yeah. you have uh, nightshade bushes. Yeah, yeah. See, it's little things like this. This is the kind of information about the real world that I think could play well in fiction writing or in game narrative design. Pulling up these little tiny little details that grounded in the real world but have got really interesting implications in, in, in game space. So it's, it's the reason I get quite so I get so interested in these little snippets because it's. It's reality, but it's also it has so so much potential in a game universe. For example, honeys, honeys, the bee of honeys that, that take nectar from nightshade, the bee, the honey of that of those bees is imbued with the chemical that can kill. So, if you were an assassin that perhaps wanted to uh, kill a, a, a victim, you might just substitute their honey for some nightshade infused honey, um, which I think is pretty cool. Thank you having. Nice honey with your toast or with your biscuit mm -hmm. or something. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, anyway, the, the so the, the I'll I'll actually talk a little bit about the chemical now. The chemical itself is called an alkaloid. Now that's a that's a chemical uh, name for something that contains a, a particular structure and a particular arrangement of chemical elements. So I won't get into that. That's just hardcore chemistry. But everyone knows and ingests alkaloids. Everyone. Why do I know this? It's because caffeine is an alkaloid. Nicotine is an alkaloid. Quinine and ephedrine are medical alkaloids. So these are stimulants, medicines, but they're also, they're also toxic versions. And the to toxic variant you get from uh, nightshade is called atropine. And it's named after atropas, obviously the, the Greek fate. Um, and that's the chemical that's, uh, that's, 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 that does the damage for nightshade. And it does it in a very interesting way. It shuts down your nervous system. It shuts down the body's involuntary responses. It affects your breathing. 
it affects, it affects involuntary muscle contraction, which is why it works in the pupils. Um, and it stops so it causes so many effects. And it, because nitrogen poisoning was so prevalent, clinicians actually came up with a with a with a little mnemonic to so they could actually recognise the, the the symptoms. Um, it's, it goes like this: hot as a hare, blind as a bat, dry as a bone, red as a beet, mad as a hen. Now that's like a poem you'd find in an in-game text, you know. <laughs> it's uh, it's but it's, it's rooted in the effect, the medical effect of the, of, of, of uh, the atropine. It, it affects your inability, affects your ability to regulate temperature. It causes your vision to blur because your pupils dilate. Uh, your salivary glands stop functioning. Uh, your skin vasculature dilates and you get red, uh, and you start to hallucinate and gibber. So that's those are the th that that's those are all the effects of atropine when it gets into the human body. So it is a incredibly powerful and nasty poison, which is why it's used in game in our heavy poisons. Um, well, that sounds horrible. Like, you know, if you, and it's, and it's, and it, like, if you ingest it, you're, there's no cures. Oh, there are actually, there are plant-based cures. In fact, actually, interestingly, this, there is actually a plant-based antidote for, for uh, atropine. Um, and it can be combated, so that's 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 fine. But interestingly, I was just about to pivot across to the medical uh, uh, chemical side to actually how um, I, nightshade actually appears in our own history and our own mythology. Um, it actually appears in the story of the Odyssey, in uh, the story of Odysseus. In ancient Greek times, the, the witch Circe uh, poisoned Odysseus's crew with nightshade. And Odysseus only escaped the, the fate of, of the poisoning by actually taking a plant-based antidote. So it's uh, there, and, and that's rooted in fact that you could actually combat nightshade with with other with other remedies. So it's it's not a, a fatal toxin. It can actually be uh, can be treated. Um, but uh, interestingly as well, I I mentioned the connection to the name Belladonna, the the ladies in, in uh, Renaissance Italy. Um, I mean, but it could have also been given that same name, not from more recent history, but from ancient history, because uh, Nightshade was used by two emperors' wives to kill their husbands in ancient Rome. Uh, I mentioned this to Livia before the podcast started because I thought it was hilarious, because one of these uh, emperors' wives was called Livia Drusillus, and she killed Emperor Augustus in Rome a long, long time ago using Nightshade, um, which I thought was quite amazing. Probably deserved it. I'm sure he did deserve it. I'm sure he did deserve it. Now, that's a connection to Livia. There's also a connection to me. Um, histor and this is this is historical. This isn't talking about plays by Shakespeare. The Macbeth of history used a uh, nightshade to poison English troops during a, tr during a truce negotiation in the 1000s. Um, and as a Scot, and Macbeth is actually my clan tartan, um, I'm very much, uh, I very much approve of that use of nightshade in the real, in, in his, his historical yeah. actuality. Um, cool connections, that's awesome. So, but anyway, its use, its use in warfare is widespread as well, because I mean, people would, in antiquity would dip their arrows with it. And this, uh, I'll get back to dipping weapons in, in, uh, in nightshade at the very end of this segment. Um, but those are historical things. The mythic encounters, I think, are, are much more interesting. And this is where I can pivot a little bit into Elder Scrolls. I've talked about Cersei, but the, the one that's most interesting is that Nightshade was heavily used by the uh, devotees of Bacchus and Dionysius, the Roman and Greek gods of debauchery. They used Nightshade in wine 
to make the effect of wine stronger, to make people more, uh, make the wine more mind-altering, to lower people's inhibitions even further, to fuel the debauchery of the worship of these two, of these two Roman gods. Now, when I start talking about a god that likes to drink wine and encourages debauchery, in ESO we have Sanguine, the Daedric Prince, who is essentially the ESO version of Bacchus. Um, yeah. Now, this is where I get this is where I get quite excited because there's a, such a strong resonance, such a strong parallel between ancient mythology of our world and uh, the, the mythology of the game. But this is the point where they didn't actually make uh, uh, best use of it because no, nowhere in the game, in ESO games or Elder Scrolls games, have I found anything that connects Sanguine, worship of Sanguine, with the use of Nightshade, in spite of the fact that in the real world it was heavily connected to that very that same uh, that same type of worship um and i had a little think about that i mean why wouldn't they have picked up on this um and then i thought oh skooma <laughs> oh, right right you don't skooma's you don't need, the main drug <laughs> yeah you don't need a nightshade in your wine to to worship Simon. you just take some skooma or even um, the non-distilled version just a little bit of moon sugar where it's you know hallucinogenic to everybody else yes. but yeah exactly same same idea yeah, exactly, exactly. It's um, so. Anyway, so they didn't need to use it for for for, for Sanguine, but it was a. I think it was a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the direct connection and Bacchus literally mm-hmm. being like as you described them. That's Sanguine. Yeah, yeah. So the, the only other prominent folklore, um, real world folklore reference I can find for Nightshade is its use in in uh, making what was called a flying ointment. It was implicated in witchcraft. Um, uh, people who would practice witchcraft would make this potion, um, which would alter the mental state, which the, the lay people, the people who weren't into witchcraft, assumed that it helped them fly, but it didn't. It just helped them mentally fly. It just helped them uh, have... <laughs> get high. Yeah, to get high, essentially. <laughs> um, and also, I found another, in another... I found a couple of good literature references, actual real-world journal articles talking about this. There was also connections to the behaviour of people who were accused of being werewolves. People would wear furs and go and have oh. fits of bestial rage, and they would have used this ointment, which contained nightshade. Um, uh, a thing here, just to add, this is very impromptu, but this uh, cosmetic adornment, it is a... I can't believe I didn't think of that before. Uh, Wolfsbane. Oh, I thought it was Nightshade, but it's called Wolfsbane for... But look at the, but look at what it looks like in-game. It's a little pink flower, just like the Nightshade is in, okay. in real life. Uh-huh. Cool. Interesting. Oh, that's in your hair. Yeah, it's yeah, my hair. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Interesting. Sorry, mm-hmm. I, I, thought it, I thought it was Nightshade, and, but it says Wolfsbane. I apologize. And I think Wolfsbane is a real thing too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but actually, I mean... Uh, to pivot back to Elder Scrolls and, and bring this segment to, to uh, a close. Nightshade doesn't appear in many quests in Elder Scrolls games. It appears in Skyrim as a fetch quest for Ingen Blackbriar. Um, you, one of the, because uh, she's the, uh, she's at the Alchemist uh, shop in Riften, and that's that's her, her, her uh, she's not like her, her mother Maven. She, she's, she's into alchemy. Um, She's and not she cool you, like her mother, maybe. Yeah, Sorry. not cool like her mother, exactly. <laughs> and she sends you off to get 20 segments of Nightshade. Um, but it really doesn't appear in too many other uh, quest points within 
uh, Elder Scrolls games, but it does appear in a number of lore books. It's uh, in a couple of very, very important lore books, actually. You mentioned uh, Moonsugar. It actually appears in an ESO lore book, lore book called Proven Moonsugar Fertilization Techniques, and it's used as a component of grass fertilizer for, for cultivating moonsugar. Which maybe it maybe allows me to make that connection to sanguine. Maybe the atropine is getting yeah. from the nightshade into the into the moonshiger, and that's what's causing some of the hallucinogenic effects of, of actually skimmer. Yeah, so. but that's interesting because, yeah, I wonder. Mm, that's an interesting to implication because does that mean moonshiger is inherently uh, hallucinogenic, hallucinogenic, or is it hallucinogenic because of the way it's that, cultivated? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's an, that's an interesting question. Um, yeah. Other places it appears. It appears in a, a quest clue in ESO, in Sun and Shadows to-do list, it's called. It's from the quest line in uh, in Morrowind. Uh, Sun and Shadow is, is that is I think, the character that wants to become a Tavani mage, I think, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep, that's her. One who's cruel to her uh, lover. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. But the, the interesting thing about this lore reference is that um, in her to-do list, it says, distill remaining nightshade and store. Um, now, that's just a passing reference, and it's obviously, she's a mage, so she's doing some alchemy. But as a chemist, I kind of, it's, you know, when somebody drags their fingernails down a blackboard? Mm. When I read that, I got the same feeling, because as a chemist, I know that the active chemical in nightshade is not a liquid. It's a, it's, it's a solid component, and you wouldn't extract it by distilling it, you would recrystallize it. So that's how you that's how you purify solid materials. You dissolve them in a solvent, heat it up, and then you slowly let it cool, and it will come out as a crystal, as a pure crystal. So oh, at, atropine okay. would be purified by recrystallization. It would be purified by distillation. So that's just, a, that's just the inner chemistry nerd in me coming out and uh, <laughs> correcting what is a lower mistake, because uh, Nightshade, Distillation is what you use to separate liquids. It's what you use to separate ethanol from water or other miscible liquids. Liquids which will blend and completely mix and use distillation to uh, make use of the different boiling points of the two different liquids to purify one or the other. So, yeah, you don't you don't distill atropine out of nightshade. You you recrystallize it. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'll I'll stop being a chemistry nerd. Well, actually, I won't. But I'll move on from that point. Um, other. Uh, oh, go ahead. No, no, I said, no, it's cool. I was just saying, don't stop being in chemistry here. Yeah, I can't help myself. Um, <laughs> it appears in another couple of places. Interestingly, um, one place it appears is a book, a, a lore book called Special Flora of Tamriel, uh, which appears in Elder Scrolls 2 and 4, I think. Um, and this is this was a nice little interesting uh, mention. Um, apparently, Nightshade is cherished by the Khajiit. That's the phrase it uses, it's cherished by the Khajiit and used by thieves, and they tuck the nightshade into their armor to help them be more invisible. Now, huh. that's not connected to any of the uh, attributes given to the, uh, the poison in-game. Um, so it made me think, could I find a way to connect this to the way that nightshade actually really works in the real world? So I think about it. Yeah. Um, they tuck it in their armor, so it's likely having an effect on them, rather than on who anyone who would be observing them. Yeah? Yeah, I would assume so. So, if you follow me from that logical uh, 
footprint. The next one. Um, there is something that could help here in the real-world uh, effect of atropine. If enough of the atropine was able to pass through their skin into their system, it would affect the relaxation of involuntary muscles, like the muscles in oh, your wow. eye. So it could act to actually dilate the pupils, which would give them better night vision, which would mean okay. they would see their pursuers before their pursuers saw them and thus oh, wow. make them appear more visible. Wow. So That's a good one. That's a good connection. Yeah, I, I, actually, I really like that. When I saw that I could draw, draw a connection between what, act, what the uh, nightshade actually does and to actually connect up the lore there. Because um, the only thing that I can think of, because there was no straightforward connection to the effect of the region in the game, I thought I'd just pull on that one and say, yes, that's my, that's my head cannon. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> for why yeah. Nightshade is liked by the Kashyyyk. Um, well, I mean, as long as you can back it up, which you did, you backed mm-hmm. it up with actual yep. know, sources. Yep. So a, a different a different example, there's another book called The Herbalist Guide to Skyrim. This is an Elder Scrolls V lore book. The author is Agneta Falia. Um, she mentions that uh, Nightshade is used in combination with other reagents to induce stiffening of joints and a lack of mobility on the battlefield when applied by a person trying to injure someone else. So if somebody hit it on the blade or on their arrow, they could induce uh, a degree of immobilization on their opponent. Now, immobilization potions are uh, replete in, in Elder Scrolls. Hinder, hindrance is the, is the attribute in alchemy in Elder Scrolls Online, but Nightshade doesn't have any uh, attributes of hindrance. But um, I actually looked back to see if there was any other mentions of uh, Nightshade attributes that could fit this. And, in, and although I won't often talk about Oblivion, in Elder Scrolls 4, one of the effects of Nightshade is, is to cause burden. If you're affected by it, um, it can essentially incre- decrease your ability to carry heavy loads. So I thought, well, in this case, it could be that uh, combined with something else, it will bring this uh, attribute to the potion. Uh, or the poison to sure, essentially yeah. make someone feel that they could no longer move in their heavy armor and would thus stiffen their movement. So there is a an in-game lore connection to how that might actually occur. Unlike the case with the Khajiit where I had to bring it out to the real world, in that case there is an in-game potential explanation for that. But you'd have to go back to Elder Scrolls 4 to actually get the attribute that would be required to have that effect in-game. Yeah, and that's, I think that's a great connection because if it's you know, gonna immobilize someone, you know, and you're carrying too much. Can, I, I, I admittedly didn't play uh, Oblivion, but uh, I don't know how slow you walk, but in Skyrim and Morrowind, it's horrible. Or yeah. In Skyrim if you're over, if you're overburdened, your, your movement speed is much, much lessened. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so the last couple of, the last couple of um, lore references I could find to it in game are quite fun. One is, uh, I, there's a book called Practical Necromancy where Nightshade is burnt and is, is essentially volatilized. It's made as a smoke to affect a spirit and thus allow it to be burned to a corporeal object, to a geode. And I was thinking, well, maybe uh, it's it, it, it prevents, in the real world, it prevents involuntary responses. It prevents, uh, it can often stop breathing. It can stop your muscles from contracting. Maybe in this case, it's preventing the natural involuntary pulling back from corporeal objects of a spirit to allow it to be bound to that corporeal object. So again, it was a real world connection to potentially an in-game lore uh, use. Um, yeah. 
That's a good source too. Classical necromancy is very fantastic read. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so one one thing I won't want to I won't talk too much about. There's it's actually mentioned as a cure for vampirism in Elder Scrolls Four as a quest item. Um, there's a shopping list you're given by a character who cures your uh, your character of vampirism, and Nightshade's one of those things. But I couldn't think of them any way in game or um, out of game that I could connect that the actions in Nightshade to that purpose. Yeah, because it's not like when you have vampirism, really any of that stuff is working. No. You already have enhanced vision. I don't know. Yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. But the very last one, the very last one I found, the very last one I found out, I saved this especially for last, is I, and most people who are listening might already be aware of this, Nightshade is used in the Black Sacrament. It is... The B-team. The, yep, the B-team, not the Maratong. Our Brotherhood. <laughs> Black Sacrament requires you to, among other things, to smear your blade with nightshade while you're calling on the Night Mother. And the Black Sacrament is such a major part of Elder Scrolls games. Nightshade is implicated in one of the most important rituals that players will ever do in the game. It's part of the Black Sacrament. Um, now, in terms of what role it's playing in that sacrament, um, nothing about that action of smearing uh, atropine or, or the essence of nightshade on your blade I think would do anything other than let the night mother know that you mean business <laughs> I think you're ready to kill yeah. if you need you're to. Ready, you're ready to kill and kill in whatever manner it takes Yeah. Um, or okay so well you're supposed to get a heart right? Uh, it's not you're supposed to kill somebody to make the black sacrament so maybe I don't know, maybe it has something to do with the heart as the muscle. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there's some Oh, that's a cool thing. That. And maybe some way to stop a heart beating. Stop the muscle, yeah. muscle contractions. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. Maybe. Yeah. Um, as I say, because it's not something, it's not the, the in the, I mean, maybe in the game is different. Maybe in the game, the, the chemical part of nightshade that works is in some way more easily brought into the atmosphere. But the smearing mm-hmm. on a weapon, which is essentially put the, the poison on the weapon to then be used and have its effect uh, when you actually use the blade, rather than to actually create a, an environment or a mist or something that would facilitate the, the uh, communing mm-hmm. with the Night Mother. Um, like a summoning of her. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So that's 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 uh, that was my little odyssey. Uh, through the through uh, nightshade, it's 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 in-game uh, use, it's uh, real-world effects, it's real-world history and mythology, and then connecting back up to how it's experienced in game through the lore of the game. Um, I, I'm I'm really yeah. ha- it was, I'm really I was really happy. I picked it after I started reading because I wasn't sure which within the first region I chose was going to be a good one to use, but this one was surprisingly impactful, both in terms of its use in game and its connection with uh, lore, both for us in the real world and uh, the game lore. Um, yeah, I that was really cool. I enjoyed that, and I'm not just saying that just for the sake of uh, you know, the podcast or what mm-hmm. we're doing here. It, that was very interesting. Like, just the I love the threads of through everything and how you tied it into in game and how it really Honestly, how our real history, or I guess I should say how in-game really parallels a lot of mm-hmm. uh, our real-world stuff. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really interesting, and it kind of shows that 
they paid attention and they really gathered a lot of uh they grounded everything in reality and mm. in schools. that's something that i love because you know you have like crazy animals and crazy plant life but you also have very real animals and plant life too yeah yeah you do i think it's interesting well thank you i'm glad you liked it um yeah and, and you're right it's it's al- the reason i'm, I'm quite i'm quite I'm looking forward to exploring more reagents in, in future episodes is because alchemy is one of those parts of the game that crosses over between the real world and the, and the fictional world um, mm-hmm. it's uh, they do listen they do pay attention a lot of the alchemy is is, is grounded in real world effects real world uh, plants real world herbs um, so in the future episodes I'll, I'll pull out more of these types of things and try and do the same thing give a bit of both the real world the fantasy world do uh, the very real and grounded uh, Nernroot that appears in our room. Well, yeah, Nernroot is perhaps not one I'll deal with in the <laughs> next episode. That's going to be a little more troublesome. Um, but there are there are others that are be a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, or actually, do red Nernroot. You know, that's it. the more rare, the most rarest plant in game. Mm-hmm. You know, this is very tangential, but I just, I never uh, knew this, or I saw this portion of Skyrim, which I want to now. Um, apparently, like, when you go to Solsheim, there's, like, this island you can go to, and there's this, like, dead guy, I think he's a Dunmer, with this giant Nernroot, and the Nernroot's, like, the size of a person. <laughs> Whoa, it does, is, is the volume as, as, as increased as the size is? is that, uh, that I don't know. I was just watching a video with someone talking over, but yeah, it would, wouldn't it? Um, but this, yeah, I, I thought of you when I saw that video because this guy was like going to find this like iron roots, and he ended up dying because uh, it got that big because of a uh, a spriggan. And oh. I was like, oh man, that's like such a discovery. I don't know, I don't know. I just thought of you like a scientist when I discovered. Yeah, yeah, being something. a scientist going off on an expedition that ultimately <laughs> causes the death. That's cool. <laughs> right. Yeah. But anyways, that's tangential. I apologize. <laughs> Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Um, so we've we've covered both of our lore segments. I think that. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you want to uh, talk a little bit about the book, the reading, the book club? Oh yeah, yeah. So I was doing the, um, you know, every Sunday, every Lord us. I was uh, suggesting a, a book for people to read. Um, so I kind of stopped that, and I'm going to suggest a book now here to, for people to read. And I'm going to go and suggest King Edward. And I know I preface that. Uh, it was a very long book, so I recommend, or I, you know, I'm suggesting people over the course of this month or whenever you're listening to this, um, whenever you're listening to this recording, um, to just check out the, uh, to check out King Edward, read it, skim it, you know, glean what you can from it, and just, you know, drop an email, which our email is, uh, I did not write it down, I forgot. Oh, uh, it's Raven at coolandvile.net so again that's raven at coolandvile.net um email me email us about uh your thoughts on king edward your thoughts on anything that we talked about today your thoughts on nightshade how you use it what you find it how you find it most effective use in your adventures in samriel and really you know just let us know anything we'll want to have a uh, section where we read people's uh emails regardless of what they are as long as they're elvis scrolls related you know go check it out so please do contact us um this uh 
this VOD will, once we finish the recording, the VOD will go up on Twitch um, within 24 hours. Uh, after 24 hours of exclusivity on Twitch, because of my affiliate <laughs> status, we'll be able yes. to um, upload it onto uh, Liv's uh, YouTube channel. So the VOD yes. will be available on both channels. It will be available forever on YouTube. It will be available for three months on Twitch because um, I'm not a partner or anything. So my, my, my VODs essentially drop off my list after a certain not amount yet. of time. Um, not but, partner yet. Yeah, I'm not partner yet. <laughs> yes, well, I'm not sure I'll ever get to that point. Um, yeah. It's not one of my ambitions. Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just here to have fun and interact. And it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but we have recorded the audio for this and we will be tidying it up, giving it a new backing track and uploading it to wherever you listen to podcasts, which is, i.e., uh, we haven't figured out yet, but most likely Spotify, yeah. most likely SoundCloud, maybe some other platforms as well. But we will pro be producing a, a edited version, uh, not that we'll cut things out, but just uh, we'll clean up the audio and change the backing track. Because at the moment you're listening to... Um, Mother oh, Morwin's Sacred Lullaby, which is a music box yeah. that Olivia gifted me. Um, while back. Yes. Um, so and yeah, so for now we'll do we'll just upload it to YouTube. Um, we will definitely keep you updated on the uh, just audio platforms that we put it on. That's still in the works, but we'll have it up by uh, next next episode. Indeed, yes. Indeed, we will. Um, so, to all the listeners who joined the, the live recording, to all the listeners who will listen to the podcast, thank you for uh, giving us your time. Thank you for spending the time uh, listening to us ramble on in various ways about various things. I hope that some of the things that we've covered uh, have given you some new insights, some new information, or just reminded, reminded you about things you might have known, made you smile, made you laugh, uh, made you think. And uh, we shall uh, be back in a month's time the last Friday, Saturday of each month for episode two of The Quill Bar. Yeah, thank you for all coming and for listening to uh, the first episode of this little endeavor. Uh, we can't wait, to, can't wait to do more. All right, so we'll, we'll end the stream there. So everyone take care and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.